This is Beyond the Bell Tower, where an elite group of North Carolina State University students give us a behind-the-scenes look at their steps to success and show us how they attain even their lofty goals. These students, who are in the top 10% of the country, are active in student support services at NC State, a nationally recognized program designed to provide support for low-income, first-generation college students. Nationally, this population has an 11% graduation rate within six years. The student support services students surpass that rate each year and go on to become doctors, dentists, accountants, and engineers. They work at Google, Apple, and the NCAA. They have earned PhDs in Ivy League colleges. These students go well beyond the bell tower to reach this level of success. I am excited to talk to Etienne Phillips. He is a TRIO student. So we are excited to talk to you today, Etienne, because you just finished some exciting things this summer, which we'll talk about. But I also want the listeners to know that there are going to be a variety of topics today and where I'll say that you put in one of your essays for the different programs and scholarships that you had applied for is that you would actually like to be a quintuple major. If that was possible. That sounds like me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's no way we're going to be able to have a conversation with you where it's not going to be potentially all over the place, which Mm -hmm. makes it more exciting. So, yeah. Do you want to start by, do you want to introduce yourself? Is there anything important you want people to know about you as we go into this? Sure. Well, it's hard for me to say necessarily what I think is important because um, the things that first come to mind are not necessarily what everyone else is, is interested in. Uh, my name is Etienne Phillips. I'm a student at North Carolina State University. I transferred here as a sophomore in the 2021-2022 school year. I'm now a rising junior going into my third year. I'm majoring in mathematics with a minor in philosophy. Yeah, I, I, I think probably the most important fact about me that I love math and there's no way anyone can talk to me for more than five minutes without me talking about how much I love math. (laughs) You're going to get a blank stare. (laughs) (laughs) I think I stopped at, I think I had to Google how to do fractions when my kids were doing it. I mean, it just is, that is not where my mind goes. I I entirely blame K-12 education. I think it's terrible. For, for a lot of reasons, but especially for mathematics. I mean, there's a, there's a famous essay by Princeton graduate Paul Lockhart about just how terrible math is taught in schools and how it's so much more than that. But I'll abdicate to you for now. The only thing I remember is I did a paper on like the mathematics of bubbles. Oh, and so that, that kind of took it. Yeah, it was just like I could be weird with that. <laughs> but anyways, so what did you do this summer? So I went to Michigan State University to participate in SURIEM, the summer, let me see if I can remember what the acronym stands for, Summer Undergraduate Research Institute in Experimental Mathematics. So I, yeah, everyone's always so surprised that I remember that acronym. But yeah, so I was there for about eight weeks from May 15th to just a few days ago, July 9th is when I got back and I did mathematics research there. So I worked with three other undergraduates on a project, which judging by the 
conversation up to this point, maybe I shouldn't go super in depth onto what we were doing, but well, there's a lot of people that will listen to this. That will that's true. That's true. Well, the the problem with mathematics is it's it's so dense. So even if you're an absolute expert in combinatorics, which is the field that we were working in. Mm -hmm. um, it would still probably take a good while to like explain any in depth, but mm -hmm. I, I guess the essential idea um, is that I think, I hope, are you familiar with the Fibonacci numbers there? <laughs> no, but other people are. So I'll, okay, I'll, well, we'll, I, that's... Yeah, we'll put a disclaimer. If this conversation is going to make you feel bad about your, meaning the listeners feel bad about themselves, is <laughs> like, oh my gosh, this is, you can forward a little bit, but for those people that are um, interested, which I'm sure there will be. The Fibonacci numbers were discovered by a, a mathematician. He is Italian. Um, his name is also Bonacci. It's not Fibonacci. That was later ascribed to him by, by future writers. But um, he, he discovered this number sequence, and it's a really simple idea. You have you start with zero and one, and then you take you get the next number by adding the two previous numbers. So zero plus one is one, one plus one is two, one plus two, three, two plus three is five, five plus three, eight. Etc. Mm -hmm. And so what we did was we extended this idea to, well, it's already been extended by other people to polynomials. So they have similar recursion. So he designed this a long time, at, like for the basis of math? Oh, yeah. Or, was, yeah. When was, when did this? Um, this would have been the 1300s, I think. I was actually, I um, did some more research into the history of it during this program at some point. And I was actually really surprised to learn how old it was because generally with mathematics, it's either like really old, like ancient Greek, like 500, 1000 BC or something like that, or it's within the last 400 years or so. I mean, most of what we learn in like calculus, for example, was um, first in the form that we know it uh, by Newton and Leibniz, which were mathematicians, among many other things in uh, the late 16, early 1700s. So um, modern mathematics is, is built off that or... or comes from that. So 1300s is a long time ago, but uh, there's a lot of really interesting facts about the Fibonacci numbers. If you've ever heard of the golden ratio or the golden spiral, in fact, on uh, NC State campus in Sass Hall, it's on the ground. The, there, there's a golden spiral that goes like through the building and comes out in front of the building. There is, it's related to the golden ratio and Fibonacci numbers in ways that would be lost if I were to try and describe it verbally. But anyway, uh, without me getting too into the weeds on those, there's a family of related polynomials uh, to the Fibonacci numbers. And we essentially extended that. So they were polynomials in one variable. And we studied what would happen if we extended those to an arbitrary number of variables. Um, so I was working a lot with multivariate polynomials and we discovered some interesting identities and some explicit formulas and connections to other parts of combinatorics and stuff like that. It was very exciting. We were pretty much on our own during those eight weeks. Not that we didn't receive any help or guidance or anything, but the program was really focused on allowing us to like explore topics on our own and come up with our own research questions. And I found that to be just really fun and exciting. I woke up every morning and I was super excited to get breakfast so I could go to the office and start writing things on a whiteboard and, and trying ideas and whatnot. Yeah, because how is that? Most people think of research as like surveys or, you know, doing it in a lab. So how is math research done? Like, what does that look like? 
It's an amazing question. Um, and one that even I, at this point, after having done it, uh, I mean, we, we, we wrote a paper and uh, we're going to be presenting at conferences. So we, we did research, I can guarantee that, but it's really hard for me to even really describe what was going on. I mean, so, I mean, there's a lot of, well, so a, a lot of research, the, the scientific research pro process of you hypothesize and then you experiment and you test and, and you see what happened and develop ideas or, or these sorts of things um, still happens with mathematics, but it's not an experiment in the way that you might think of. But a lot of times they're computational experiments. And sometimes that means on a computer, we did a lot of work in Mathematica where we wanted to like program some pattern. And then we, I, I did a lot of like programming in some formula or whatever, and then letting it run for like a hundred iterations and then looking at a, at a long list and seeing, okay, what's going on here? Is there like some pattern here? Uh, playing around with numbers, seeing if I can uh, manipulate things and to get it into new forms and seeing what's going on there. Um, I, our very first result came, um, or uh, I guess first idea came when I, I read a paper that described how matrices could be related to these polynomials in some way. And I was like, huh, I wonder if we can do that with more variables. Um, and so I fiddled around with it until I figured out how to make it work with more variables, which was a lot of just like testing things and seeing if I could figure out exactly like, why is this true? Like, maybe I understand how to prove that it's true, but like on a really like fundamental level, why is this true? Um, and why might it be true in, in some broader sense? And so I did a lot of playing around with that. Um, and eventually I got it to a place where it worked, like the, the matrix identity worked. Um, and then I did a little bit more, you know, calculating and realized, okay, well, this can actually tell me something. So I can calculate things on one side and get some sort of identity. Did it look similar to Goodwill Hunting? Have you seen that movie? <laughs> I have seen that movie. It's It's been a while. Um, I mean, you spend a lot of time being stuck, I think. Mm -hmm that uh, depending on on what other research program you're thinking about that may or may not be true you may have like a general idea of like what you want to where you're going right i mean maybe like in in psychology for example like you have some idea you want to test some hypothesis and so you design an experiment and you talk to people you do surveys you analyze data or whatever you go and do the thing very often when we have a question well i have no idea where to start or if it's true or or what's going on so there isn't just like you do an experiment and see what happens. I mean, experimentation can definitely get you conjectures, but conjectures aren't theorems. What you want to have a result is you want to prove something is true. So you'll want to, uh, I mean, you'll want to convince yourself that things are true through experimentation, but ultimately like it's going to be a lot of playing around. It's going to be a lot of being stuck and having no idea what you're doing reading other people's work, getting ideas, trying to just, uh, I mean, what I, I like to do, I like to try lots of different things and see what patterns I can find and see why those patterns might be there. And if I can understand one pattern, maybe I can understand another pattern. And maybe that helps me understand the, the question better. Right, right. I don't know how helpful of an answer that was. I feel like I kind of just rambled there. <laughs> no, 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 a no, no. Lot. no, that's, that's good. Yeah. Cause that's what I think is interesting is that there's sometimes such a focus on like, what is research and especially for undergraduate students. Like we have the first and second year students when we say, oh, you need to do undergraduate research. So 
as a first or second year student, you know, they'll, you know, you just typically go to like, well, what I know about research, you know, because you probably don't have exposure to that in K through 12, you know, in college, it's the first thing. And so you, or you just think of like, say with um, like in TV and media. So it's like, oh, well, a researcher is somebody who's in a lab, you know, or Mm -hmm. I come to campus and I have to do all these surveys, like for site 200, you know, or (laughs) whatnot. And so I don't think a lot of times people think of like, oh, what does research look like for math? What does research look like? You know, or even what are the Mm -hmm. options for Mm -hmm. that? Yeah, I I think, I think generally it's probably a little um, under, uh, uh, theoretical developments are probably a little undervalued or, or not thought of as much before you get to doing real research. I mean, obviously mathematics, it's all theoretical, at least the, the kind of mathematics I'm doing. Of course, there's applied mathematics and such, but. So what did you find in your paper? What was your paper about? Like what was accepted for um, at conferences? And kind of like, why do you think it was accepted? Well, that's a great question. Um, I don't think anything, if I'm uh, being honest, I don't think anything in the paper is really incredible or, you know, mind-blowing or anything. I mean, all of our results are, relatively speaking, straightforward. I think it, it was probably pretty impressive that we were able to get so much as undergraduates. I think that's one of the things with mathematics as well that's generally been stressed to me a lot, is that undergraduates can't really do research at like a proper level. I mean, like in in other disciplines, you might be able to like work in a lab with, you know, postdocs and professors or whatever. Um, But really, I mean, you have to really carefully choose um, problems and topics. And one of the the problems that we were working on for most of the thing uh, turned out to really be a little above our pay grade. The solution, we ended up being able to solve it with the help of of a grad student, but it required knowledge of algebraic geometry which none of us had any background in and would have never been able to figure out but well that's the thing too is research is 90 percent collaborative yeah where that's different from like homework assignment you know where a professor would say you're cheating but with research it's like it has to be or even collaboration makes it better yeah yeah no i mean there's no correct answer like preordained, you know, you're not doing homework exercises. I mean, you might be convinced that something is true, but if you're if you're doing real research, nobody in the world has any clue um, if it's true or why it might be true. Um, right. And and there's not generally like a, a straightforward path. I mean, I think that's something that um, you might get a, a false impression of, especially in um, undergraduate mathematics or even just reading math papers. When you're, you see them, you know, lay out, okay, well, th- why is this true? Because X implies Y implies Z implies W, whatever, right? And you're like, oh, okay. But how would I ever figure that out? Like, I, I, I could never, well, but that's not, that's not how research works. Nobody sits down with a piece of paper and goes, oh, okay, well, X implies Y implies W. Uh, and therefore, I think it's true. Um, it's more like, well, you know, uh, you got you to think about a whole lot of different things. I mean, maybe you come up with, I mean, I came up with probably um, half a dozen or a dozen different properties or identities that didn't end up being relevant to anything. And we didn't put in the papers. They were either were, were not useful or not helpful or they didn't serve improving anything else. But I, I, they're just things that I 
found coming up with and, and playing around with with numbers just you know maybe they are helpful maybe this identity actually provides a contradiction if we assume this other thing or whatever i don't know so it's it's not at all straightforward and in in that sense uh it's kind of uh at least with mathematics it's i think it's it's both impossible for undergraduates to do research because to do real research because you need because because this is it is such a dense field and you need so much knowledge and information but on the other hand anyone can do research because all you need is like a pencil and paper and to think about something that nobody else has thought about before mm -hmm. which in mathematics is is relatively easy anyone can invent things pretty pretty <laughs> easily i mean except me <laughs> <laughs> well i mean if, if if you're if you're playing around with things for a little while i mean you'll um yeah. if you let your mind you know, wander. You don't. You don't feel so. You don't feel like you're expected to be doing X, Y, and Z. I mean, you just think about things. I mean, yeah, because that's what they say. I forgot what it was, but it was one of those competitions, like Science Olympiad or or whatnot. It was at a national level, and they gave these students, which I, yeah, were high school students, these problems, and they actually found workable solutions because they came at it from a totally different perspective where it's almost like if you, if you, it's hard when, well, I don't know, it may be a challenge. So if you're the expert, like literally in the world and you have all of this like knowledge, sometimes it's hard to like acknowledge like um, what you don't know. So that's like one of those things is like, I know what I don't know, or I'm aware like that I don't know everything. Um, and so that's, I think that's why they did that, had that competition was it's like, let's see it where the person isn't restricted by what they already know or restricted by past failures, you know, or past. You have to be really resistant to failure as a researcher. I think probably in, in every discipline, but I think especially in mathematics where I mean, there, there is no, like you're not going to do a survey or an experiment and publish a paper about it. You either, you've either invented something new, found a new result, or you haven't. And that can be extremely hard. It might turn out that the problem you're working on is actually uh, unprovable or, or the tools don't exist to, to solve it. I, I, I like to think about Fermat's last theorem, which was, um, I mean, are you familiar with the Pythagorean theorem? A squared plus B squared equals C squared. Yeah. Um, well, that has plenty of solutions, right? We know like three, four, and five. But it turns out if, if instead of squared, we had cubes or to the fourth power, to the fifth power, whatever, uh, there are no solutions. Um, and this was something that Fermat scribbled in his journal um, a couple hundred years ago. And he was like, this is true and I have a marvelous proof for it. Uh, and then he died and never wrote down the proof. And so people were for, I think, about two centuries trying to see, well, wait, hold on, is this true? Is this really true? And why is it true? Um, and finally, it was proved by Andrew Wiles in the 90s. He's a very famous Oxford mathematician. But I, the, the part about the story that's very interesting to me is that the way that Andrew Wiles proved it was so far and beyond. I mean, he drew connections between these certain kinds of curves called elliptic curves and these other objects in a whole different part of mathematics called modular forms and all these crazy things that didn't even exist in Fermat's time. 
So anyone trying to solve the, the, the question in like, you know, the year 1800, I mean, Fermat probably did not have a correct proof, first of all, but anyone trying to solve the question in circa like 1800 is going to be, or 1850 or whatever, whenever it was, um, is, is going to be woefully lost. So you're going to spend a lot of time, no matter what question you're working on, being wrong and stuck and, and incorrect. Um, and you need to be okay with that. And you need to be okay with not finding the answers you want to find. How do you think that's benefited you throughout your, like in other parts of your life? I mean, because that's one of those like major soft skills, you, you know, mm -hmm. of how can you handle like failure? Mm -hmm. So do you think that has impacted like you positively? Yeah, I think honestly, it might have impacted more in the opposite direction that life has sort of prepared me for failure. But I mean, I don't, I, I mean, I'm not going to act like, um, you know, being incorrect or being stuck. I mean, I spent probably about three weeks, which is, is nothing on this. Yeah, I mean, some PhD students or, or researchers spend years stuck on a single problem. So I would act like three weeks is, is that bad. But I spent three weeks thinking about one problem and being stuck and it, it did not feel good. I, that would be a, a total lie to say, oh, this, that was still exciting. Yeah. It, it, it felt, you know, not great. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was definitely still exciting to be doing, doing the work and everything, but. But it doesn't mean that you should find another line of work. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> I'm absolutely ready to stick it through whatever, whatever it takes. I mean, um, I, I'm not really daunted at all by long periods of being stuck. I, I, I can't really exactly quite piece together exactly why that is. I don't feel like I've faced a whole lot of failure in my life. I don't think I've, I've faced a lot of success. I think most of my life I've spent not trying in the first place, which I, I think has been very unfortunate. And I think in, in that sense, I'm happy to even be able to give it a shot or I'm, I'm satisfied being able to give it a shot. Uh, to be able to think about the problems. And uh, oftentimes, I mean, the things you find to be true aren't what you set out to discover. I mean, we initially, one of, one of the central results of our paper is an explicit formula um, that's a summation over uh, with specific coefficients and um, powers, and you can explicitly define the nth polynomial in, in whatever sequence. So you don't, I don't have to do it recursively. It's really convenient. But um, I, I didn't set out trying to like find an explicit formula like that. Um, nobody in, in my group did. Um, but I, you know, I started plugging things into Mathematica and I got um, a number sequence and then I plugged that number sequence into a database of number sequences and it told me it was related to this thing. And I was like, huh, I wonder why that's true. Uh, and it turned out investigating the relationship between those two things gave us an explicit form. So did you see the movie Hidden Figures yeah. or are knowledgeable of that event? I think so. Yeah, it was a team of um, female African-American mathematicians and they played a role with NASA and um, impacting, you know, in, in putting forth, furthering the U.S. space program. Um, yes, I do believe. Yeah. I've heard about that. Yeah, that's, I wonder if, if it's like, because like, I would think that that's not necessarily their work is theoretical. It is like, we have to solve this problem. I mean, is that true probably from your, I mean, if you're not even knowledgeable of like, say the sto that story, but if, yeah, like, I, what's the difference between like working at NASA and then like being a faculty member, you know, like a, or a, 
a full-time researcher? Yeah, well, I mean, this is far above my immediate pay grade um, as an undergraduate student, but uh, I can I can give the best answer I can, which is, and I, I've actually listened to and, and talked to um, very recently some people who are both PhD students and also graduated PhD students who went to work in industry with mathematics. So in the realm of pure mathematics, it is possible to get a degree in, in, in industry, um, but you're probably not doing immediately pure mathematics. I mean, maybe you could like work in a national laboratory, mm -hmm. but generally you're not going to be doing like pure mathematics research yeah. in industry. Yeah. I, I think it's almost, I, I like to say that it's um, startling to me that the mathematicians have somehow tricked the world into thinking that they do something useful. Uh, certainly, <laughs> that doesn't go along, you know, where everybody's like, I'm never going to use math again in my life. <laughs> well, I mean, I think the mathematics you learn maybe in calc one through three yeah. uh, or differential equations, uh, I mean, that'll be useful if you go into a science, probably. I, I couldn't speak personally to that, but I'm, I'm, I'm assured by a scientist <laughs> that they use math in their day-to-day -day, yeah. uh, career, yeah. and I believe them. Um, yeah. and, and depending on what uh, field of mathematics you're working, or field of science you're working on, it may be that pure mathematical results do imply things about the real world. That happens all the time, I'm sure, in, in physics and chemistry and, um, and such. And applied mathematicians are certainly working in things that apply immediately to the real world. Um, and, and pure mathematicians, I, I, I wouldn't say, don't get me wrong, pure mathematicians have certainly made contributions that are indispensable to the real world. Um, I always like to think about Fourier, who's a French mathematician from the 1800s. Um, and his work provides like the basis of like how our like phones can communicate with each other. But he was he was, he was not interested in like making phones communicate with each other because he lived in the 1800s. He didn't know what a phone was. Right. Um, and he was just like, hey guys, look at what I can do. I can turn a sine wave, like any given sine wave into and decompose it into its individual pieces. Um, and now we use that to, you know, uh, decompose radio waves into individual computational pieces, which, you know, phones now turn from radio waves into sound or whatever. Um, that that's probably inaccurate to some extent so um, oh no I'm not but <laughs> but um you get the idea mm -hmm. i mean so you know pure mathematics at its heart is is not about um doing anything really useful it's it's i mean if someone asked me like why why would anyone be interested in fibonacci polynomials i have absolutely no no response for you other than I think they're quite neat. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think these are cool. I think it's it's interesting. I don't know. I'm just, I found some cool facts yeah. that nobody else had found before. Mm -hmm. And I think that's cool. I, I, I can't exactly tell you what it is. Mm -hmm. it's, it's not like someone's about to use this to go to the moon or something. Well, yeah, you never know what you're going to. Uh, yeah, you, I mean, yeah. you never know. Yeah. What I thought was interesting is in the previous discussion, you had said that you're kind of like not trying in the first place was a, mm -hmm. like I say, a theme in your life. And mm -hmm. what's so interesting is that you're doing so much here. Like you did a TED talk that we'll talk about. You were involved mm -hmm. in a math competition. You, you know, mm -hmm. joined TRIO. You're in the honors program and you're working three jobs <laughs> or something like that. that that's an exaggeration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> but... Um, well, no, I was just going to say is like, what's different, you know? now in your that's, life like that's a really good question yeah 
Yeah. Um, a, a lot of it is probably, well, it, it's, it's, it's deeply personal. Not that I won't talk at all about it, but I'm not going to go super in depth. Yeah. But no, just share what I mean, comfortable with. It's yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm very open, so I'm not really concerned about it. But it, I, like, I would definitely say mental health has been a huge part of it. I think it's almost strange talking to the people in my life before I moved to Raleigh to go to NC State. Um, one of them describes me as Etienne 2.0 now because I was just so different. I was so alien to what they had known to be me. But yeah, I mean, I was, for most of my life, I think I was pretty terribly depressed. I wasn't, I wasn't very, I wasn't very happy <laughs> to, to put it very bluntly. I didn't come from a very good supportive home or, or a place where I was encouraged in, in any sense, um, least of which academically. I th actually, I think about this a lot, honestly, that I showed some aptitude when I was younger in, in elementary school for mathematics and, and for other things, I think. But it was never encouraged to me to like pursue any of these interests. And I went to elementary school in Chapel Hill, which was, I, I have the impression is very high quality public schools. Um, and then I, I ended up going to Asheville, which for, for middle and, and high school, which uh, I was also homeschooled for a little bit, was, which was not very conducive to anything really. And, and there, I think there was even less of a focus on academics. And there was a lot more, I mean, I didn't really have any peers that were particularly interested in anything academics related. Um, and by the time I was graduating high school, I did know people that were going to college, but a lot of my like personal friends weren't going to college. And I, I, I want to stress that there's nothing wrong with that. I think there are actually probably a lot of people that go to college that could take some time, that could benefit from taking time off or not going. I, I think, I don't necessarily, and on the other hand, there's a lot of people that don't go that I think absolutely should. I, I think it's, it's a very personal decision and I don't think it should be the immediate default choice um, for everyone anyway. But um, I, I wasn't really around people that were very motivating to me or that nobody ever told me, hey, you're, you're kind of good at this math stuff or um, whatever. And I, I didn't really, by the time I was in high school, I didn't really display much of that aptitude either because it was essentially like, get at least a B and you'll be fine. Um, and I, I, I could generally do that without really trying very hard. I didn't generally have to do all of the homework or study. I, I, I never once in my life studied for a test until I got to NC State. And now I study extensively for every test. I spent like two days studying for my analysis test last, uh, last semester. But that, that was never necessary or encouraged. Mm -hmm. um, I, was, I was often asked, my high school like to do this thing where they have uh, conferences. Well, I'm sure it's not unique to my high school. They have conferences between a student, a teacher, and, a, and your parent. And then um, whoever I was doing that with would always be like, okay, so how do you plan on improving? And I was like, eh, I get like at least a B in all of my classes. Why do I need to improve? Like, what's the point? Or, you know, people would suggest, hey, Etienne, why don't you take an honors course or an AP course? Um, and I think I, I took AP courses when they were available to me. But I wish I had taken more honors courses um, and I wish I had cared more about school. I wish I, had, I wish I had someone telling me how important getting an education was and how useful it would be and how much I would regret not spending more time 
um, thinking about that and, and caring about that, I, I'm sort of, especially when I've been around other high-performing undergraduates um, in, in the research program, they all have like such fantastic high school educations and they have a much wider breadth of knowledge. I mean, I think I know quite a bit about mathematics, but I don't even know that much about math really, um, as far as math people go. Um, and I, I only really started learning, learning really anything last year when I came to NC State. Um, and I, Cause I did the same thing my first year uh, when I went to Guilford College as well, as I, I just sort of was like, okay, like, I guess I'm, I'm here. Like I, 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 I had to go to college. I didn't really have an, op an option. I had to get out of where I was and I was either gonna join the military, which I was certainly was not going to do, or I was gonna go to college somewhere. And I just kind of picked a college at random. Um, and I didn't know, really know what I was doing there. Um, I think by that time I knew that I kind of liked math, but I was just kind of doing whatever. And I, I was still in a situation where I didn't really have to try very hard to do well, nor is anyone really encouraging me to do well. And that is so common with that story is with our trio students. We have another podcast episode with Star Gibbons, who's like a hero on campus, you know, one of the top undergraduates, um, like the, the chancellor wrote her recommendations for law school. Wow. Okay. Like that's, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, so she just applied to NC State because a lot of other people were in her school. Like she didn't research, you know, she just was like, oh, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do, do, you know? And so I think that that's one of those things why, why TRIO exists is sometimes it's one where, like there's one of like not taking advantage of what's offered to you. And some of that's not even by choice. It's like, do you have to work? Do you have to, you know, or even, yeah, say with managing mental health and, and physical health and whatnot, or you're um, coming from a community and a school that just doesn't even have those opportunities. You know, like when you're thinking of like a rural area in um, North Carolina, even where it's like mm -hmm. half an hour to a library, you know, where there's mm -hmm. not, a, you know, a college in your county, you know, or even industry to and get, you know, internships or, or whatnot. Just, just having people that also have aspirations, I think is huge. I mean, and again, I don't think this is, necessarily like wrong or bad to not have aspirations for life but if everyone around you is just doing whatever mm -hmm. right I mean they're not you know really pursuing you know high goals mm -hmm. um it's like it was never once in my life even like a brief thought that I might like actually be good at something or have this like extreme passion for mathematics that I apparently do. Um, now very cautiously hoping to go to a, a top 20 graduate school. I was just recently putting together my graduate school lists for the McNair program stuff over the summer. And um, I am realizing that I should probably add more schools that are <laughs> lower down on the list but um, I have, I have my, my point is that I have very high aspirations now, but just, I don't know, two years ago, if you asked me, you know, would, would you want to go to like, um, I don't know, a, a top school, I'd be like, well, that's not even a question. Like I can't, <laughs> I'm not some super genius. There's no way. Yeah, I think that's <laughs> with college, what happens with so many students, it's like, oh, I found my people. 
like, mm-hmm. you know, where sometimes it's, you know, where you feel out of place, like mm-hmm. say, and then you get to, which universities are amazing. You'll never be in um, such an area with like the, the people, you know, who are, ex- you know, from all over the world and who have all of these different passions and skills and student organizations and, you know, being in a small community of, um, or a community where it's 18 to 22 year olds, you know, and so there's like, say for North Carolina, like NC State has more in a 10 square mile radius than any place, you know, in North Carolina. And so it's hard to not, you know, have been like, oh, like, this is where I'm meant to be. And just like having someone tell you that like, you know, these things are options. I mean, I guarantee you, um, I mean, I, I had a, a friend that um, got heard back, they, they really wanted to go into forensic psychology or, or for, I think it was forensic something. And they wanted to do this at, at WNCU, Western North Carolina University, I think is what it's called. Um, and I remember they got in, but it was, they would have to like get federal loans and they didn't want to do that. They thought that was like too much of a risk. Yeah. Um, I realized that like, I think if they had been, I mean, I don't think much of their family, of her family had had really strongly encouraged her to like go to school. Certainly not our school super strongly encouraged her. Um, because I mean, really what's much more important than, I, mean, I think our school really tried to tell people to go to college, but it's much more important what, you know, your actual peers are saying and doing and what your peers value. I mean, I don't, I don't think anyone was impressed that I got good grades on a math test. You know, nobody, nobody cared about that. Yeah. 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 I, uh, I, when I went to college it was the first time I was told I was smart by a fact, you know, and it was by a fact, you know, so obviously like, I remember mm-hmm. that moment. Like I remember where mm-hmm. I was like in that building, you know, and um, everything. And so that's, and that's common, you know, where I, I have an experience kind of like that. I, I, I wouldn't say it was the first time I was, called smart but I, I was um I, I was in a meeting with uh, the professor I'm actually about to have a meeting with him later this even this afternoon I was in a meeting with him and I was asking him questions it was actually I was going to office hours I hadn't um asked him to do research or anything but I, I would go on to do research with him this past semester I was in office hours and I was asking questions and he interrupts me in the middle of one of my questions and he goes are you going to graduate school and at this point, this is my first semester at NC State. I have taken zero rigorous math courses before this semester. Honestly, I hadn't even really taken any. Like none of, none of the courses that semester were particularly high level math classes. So I was like barely, but I knew that I loved math at that point and that's what I wanted to do. So I said, yes, I, I wanna to go to graduate school. And he was like, fantastic, please do. You are asking the right questions. You have the like curiosity or something like that. And I will remember that for the rest of my life, because that was the first time, I mean, I, I had to sort of find my motivation, my desire, my love in my own time, which I think luckily is, is becoming more and more possible. There are a lot of online educators, people who love math and want everyone else to know how cool math is and who are, are talking about it on the internet all the time. Um, but that was the first time that someone in the real world was like, you should do this. Like, this is a good idea. You are, you, you can do it, right? Well, someone recognized your, like your natural talent. 
you know, or, you know, in a natural strength. And a lot of times we can't see that ourselves. You know, sometimes it takes another person to see it. And that faculty member saw your natural talent of curiosity, math. I still feel, um, I sort of live in this cognitive dissonance where like, I definitely have a lot of imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm because I, I don't feel like I'm really all that smart or all that good at um, mathematics. I, I think I like it a lot, but I don't feel like I'm all that good or that I have these things, but this is entirely in contradiction with objective reality. Like most undergraduate students probably don't, I mean, I think we were the, we were the first research group at Michigan State University to ever submit a paper before the end of the program and we were not the first research group to ever write a paper but we were the first ones to write a paper so quickly and to submit it so fast so we, we got a lot really quickly and I, I, of course that was everybody in our group that was contributing to that but i mean very objectively like i made contributions to a paper that were meaningful and and good but i don't believe it yeah no and that's the piece for yeah people listening we have too many episodes where people talk about imposter syndrome and one of the best ones is um Rashonda Breeden in season one we have um that episode is one of the topics is her um fear of applying for a PhD program and then last summer I did another podcast with her and a trio student after she had graduated with her PhD and her dissertation has won, won like national awards. And um, I think she won an award of like the top dissertation of her department like that year. Oh, wow. And so here, I mean, that's the thing is what would have happened like if she hadn't and her dissertation was um, the impact of universities and colleges on African-American communities. So like when um, that universe, you know, when what's their impact on that surrounding African-American community? It's like how powerful, you know, is, is that? And it's so great to, you know, there's examples of people like overcoming that fear. There's another episode with Kalisha Clark in this um, maybe first or second um, and a faculty member called her and um, asked her to come to his graduate program. And I had to say, oh, wow. like, yeah, because she didn't apply, you know, oh, and wow. it took, you know, kind of your similar situation. It's like, no, you need to, like, don't doubt yourself. You know, it's, yeah. And with Star Gibbons, she didn't think the chancellor was going to, she didn't even dare ask. And he said yes within like 0.3 seconds. It was like not even a consideration, <laughs> you know? So it's, um, but how did you apply for the undergraduate research, summer research program? I mean, because the, the national, you know, our user, like a big deal. Like you could have applied for kind of like a lower ranking summer research. Well, I wouldn't say Michigan State is, is like a, a number one ranked or anything like that uh, but um I, and in fact I, I feel like I've learned a lot more about the rankings of, of research programs mm -hmm. um and I, I did apply to a good number but I, I think the thing that I wanted to to finish the last thought which is connected to this is also just that like there's you know there's a part of me that feels that way but I also really 
really want to be able to have an academic career in mathematics. Like I want it so bad. I cannot put into words how much it means to me to be able to, to do that. And like, uh, I mean, we, we, we had a presentation that I, I listened to when I was at the Surayam program. Um, it was about someone who works, who had a PhD in mathematics and went to work in industry. And he talked about what he had a slide in his presentation called the dark side of academia, which is essentially a big long list of all of the ways that your career can fail. And it's, it's a pretty long list. I mean, for, you got to get into graduate school, you got to get a postdoc, which already those are two pretty high bars. Um, the, the getting into a graduate school, maybe not the highest bar. If you're like a good student, you can probably find one. But if you want to get a postdoc, you have to go to a good graduate school. And ideally, you want a famous advisor so that you can get attention because every single postdoc uh, opening has hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people applying because you can just click a button. You make one application, you click a button, you apply to 200 postdocs. So on the one hand, it's really easy to apply to 200 postdocs. On the other hand, everyone applies to 200 postdocs. So you got to stand out somehow. So you got to do good work in graduate school. You got to have a, a good advisor. And even if you get a postdoc, okay, now you need to get an assistantship at, at uh, a university somewhere. And even if you get the assistantship, you've got six years to get, you know, good academic progress to publish three papers a year that are satisfactory to be reviewed so you can get tenure. And if you get denied tenure, well, that sucks. Your career might be over. Or at the very least, you're going to a, a very low ranked school. You're not, you're not going to, you're not gonna have a lot of opportunities. So there's a lot of places where things can go wrong. Um, but my response, and people ask me afterwards, like, how do you feel? Because I think out of everyone, I think there were, there were I think there's, I think two people that were like very obviously going to math graduate school. Maybe, maybe more honestly, it was like four. Um, but I think I was like one of the, the people that was, had talked about it a lot. And so people asked me, it was like, okay, like, what did you think about that? And I was like, I'm gonna become a math professor. I'm gonna die trying. And I really mean that. I really mean that, like I'm going to do it. So understand that even though like I have, you know, whatever apprehensions about my ability that I do, I want this bad enough and I'm gonna do my damnedest mm -hmm. to, to, to achieve it. So I applied to nine different REUs. Um, and I remember I told my honors advisor, she was like, did you, uh, how many REUs did you apply for? Where, where did you apply? I was like, Oh God, I applied to like nine different places. I don't even remember them. And I, I, some of them were very prestigious. I applied to MIT and I applied to Yale and I didn't get in. Um, Yale never even responded to me, which I was a little offensive. You could have at least told me I didn't get in. But I, I and out of the nine places, I got uh, only a confirmed offer from Michigan State. And I got maybe a sort of an implied offer from, from one other uh, place. But so, I mean, I, I, I guess the point is that I applied to of a lot of different places because gosh darn it, I'm getting into an RAU. Like this is what I gotta do if I wanna get into a top research program, I gotta get research experience. If I'm not already talented at research, then I need to get talented, right? I don't expect myself to already be a genius. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not, and I don't think I ever will be some super incredible genius, but like everything, research is a skill you can learn. So if, if I'm not already, going to be a good researcher that I need to get good. Um, and that means doing research. That means getting practice. That means getting mentorship. So I got to go to an REU. I got to have that on my resume. I got to have that experience so I can 
produce good results that I can go where I want to go. So that in six, seven, eight years time, when I'm looking for a, a postdoctoral ship, I'm like prepared. I can do it. I can write a thesis and I can get a PhD. So I have to do that. So I'm going to apply to all the places I possibly can. And I'm, I'm going to get in somewhere. Um, and I explicitly targeted places in applying. I applied to some high level places, but I also targeted places that said explicitly, we're looking for people that don't have a lot of experience, that don't necessarily know what they want to do, that are from maybe underprivileged backgrounds or um, these sorts of things. So I, I, I think increased my odds in that sense. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what it was that uh, got me into Michigan State, but I remember explicitly being told that secretly they kind of wanted to find people that didn't know what they wanted to do after undergrad. And I certainly didn't fall into that category. I was very confident in my personal statement, how much I wanted to go to grad school. So I'm not exactly sure what it was that they saw in me, but um, they saw something. And, and I think um, it was, uh, it came to at least some fruition. And I'm going to do it again uh, this, this coming year. I'm going to apply to um, as many RU programs as I can, but I, I now have some more information about what good RU programs are. So there's a, there's a program in, at the University of Minnesota Duluth, um, which I had never heard of this university before. I had never heard of even Duluth before, <laughs> just a few weeks ago. Yeah. But it is apparently one of the longest running, if not the longest running re undergraduate research program and one of, if not the most prestigious research program. I mean, looking at the list of alumni, almost like 95% of the alumni that go to grad school go to a top five university, Harvard, Princeton, MIT, Chicago, Berkeley, Stanford. There's so now I know that's distractions a distractions in Duluth. <laughs> so what? there's not a lot of distractions in Duluth. <laughs> yes. Well, it's, it's also run by someone that, that knows what they're doing yeah. when they're, um, mm -hmm. when they're mentoring. Yeah. yeah. So what do you do to celebrate your wins? Do you tell people? Do you share it with others? Yeah, I, I definitely do that. I don't really like have go-to people to share. I'll, I'll share with my, um, my sibling, I have a sibling that lives in Asheville, so I don't see them very often, but every once in a while when something cool happens, I'll text them. I, when I got accepted to the YMC to go to Ohio, I, I let them know, I was like, hey, your brother's going to YMC. Um, <laughs> and it's all paid for. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I don't know. I, um, I kind of just keep, keep going, keep living. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because that may be something that you want to <laughs> think about too. Because that's like, some is what they say is like, if you don't have somebody to do it, do it for yourself. Like that always happens like with birthdays. It's like if somebody's mm. not going to buy you a birthday present, like by yourself, you know? I don't know. Birthday birthday. I don't know how to to celebrate. I don't know what, like, what, do, I, what do I do? Mm -hmm. I don't I, I think probably one of my greatest weaknesses is honestly my lack of, hobbies that aren't math so when I, I need to take a break I don't really have a whole lot of options <laughs> yeah. I've been watching movies recently which has been has mm -hmm. been fun mm -hmm. um but yeah it's just it's almost something just be kind to yourself you know and say good mm -hmm. job whatever that is mm -hmm. Lex Friedman his, oh, uh, yeah he was it goes to 7-eleven and gets a big slurpee or something like that a big gulp <laughs> that's it like when he, that's wonderful yeah yeah that's what he, i don't i don't really like um 
Well, actually, I was gonna let. I, I I don't I was gonna say I don't really like sweet things, but I think I do. I love sweet things, and that's why I don't eat them. <laughs> I would I would probably eat a whole bag of Oreos if nobody stopped me. Mm-hmm. Well, Within a while, I'm not sure what you want to talk about next. If it's the that you did the TED talk or your you know interest in being a public advocate for homeless college students and then even your Mm -hmm. when you were involved with Habitat for Humanity like what motivated that um yeah uh, so I first got involved with Habitat for Humanity and I guess it was my junior year but I like signed up for it my sophomore year of high school and we I was part of like a, a group where we decided or not decided we were tasked with raising one fourth of Um, I think it was $55,000 and uh, there were three other high schools that were also doing the same thing and together we would have that money and build a house Um, and we were building a house for someone very in particular it was a a human being that we met and and talked to which was it was very nice to sort of you know I mean when you're doing fundraising for for two years you don't necessarily it sort of just becomes like numbers right but then you're like, hang on, like, wait a second. This is just like a human being that I've helped give a home. And that, that feels very good. But yeah, I think I initially got involved with Habitat for Humanity um, for very unvirtuous reasons. <laughs> or maybe not anti-virtuous, but I was just, I, I was like, hey, this sounds like it could be fun. Was, was essentially, you know, it could be, it was something to do. And it, it became... Um, well, it was it was fun and it was interesting to do. I very much enjoyed working with everyone and um, putting things together and, and organizing things and talking to people and communicating. And of course, having it all like actually mean something and be doing something was even more was was all the more motivation. Um, but if I, I if I'm honest, that was definitely not like the premier motivation, at least at first. Yeah. And at, at the time, I had absolutely no idea that it would ever be immediately relevant like the problem of of housing and security would ever be relevant to me I didn't really ever think about that and and then it became very personal to me um as as uh, when COVID-19 first occurred in in March of 2020 and Guilford College said okay we're going to extend spring break by a week and then it was by a month and then it was don't come back and and I, I spent a year in between when I went to Guilford, when I went to NC State, where I, I didn't have, I didn't really have anything to my name all that much. I had a little bit of money in, in savings and whatnot, but um, I spent that year very much figuring out what to do. And I, I wouldn't say I even, I don't think I actually really figured anything out in that year. I think what I figured out is that I wasn't going to figure anything out. And I, I needed to get on with my life and do some math. Uh, <laughs> Because that's <laughs> what was going to make me happy. And it, it turns out, I, I could have never guessed this, but it turns out it's actually easier, at least for me, to go to school uh, than not. Like, I feel like, I mean, for one, I have financial aid helping me pay for everything and emergency grants that I, I got that were incredibly helpful. I wouldn't be here today. I was actually just sort of realizing, looking at the money in my bank account compared to what the grants were and realizing that I would have run out of money if I hadn't um, had the support that I got, um, the, the need-based grants and, and such. So um, in, in that sense, it's, it's been easier. 
and being motivated and, and in pursuit of a goal it's been wildly helpful i mean i i never worked as anywhere near as hard as i did ever in my life but not during the pandemic at all as i had when i was here at nc state that's like I, I think it was the history museum here and i know there's other places where they're like oh submit your story like about the pandemic, you know, or like just for historical, you know, cause this will be a historical time, you know, people will be talking about this, you know, for generations, um, just as we talk about, you know, past wars and, you know, all of those um, different things. And one of those things is like the impact on college students and higher education. Um, and so, like housing insecurity and homelessness was obviously became a big deal, like where they put the rent moratorium on, you know, for the entire country and whatnot. But there's, you know, and then with the research that was done at NC State that found 15% of the students had experienced housing insecurity during that, the pandemic is, so you have impacting your safety health like physical health mental health like if you don't have a stable and supportive home life that even um contributes to your education so then that's the Mm -hmm. other impact is are you able to do what you want to do you know and be successful and whatnot and um is that even recognized like that impact on college students Mm -hmm. where they the traditional belief is that undergrads have family that support them and their life is pretty good, you know, of college. And even like you walk around NC State, you know, or even seeing the housing that, you know, and it's like, oh, well, you, you know, on meal plans. And it's like, well, that comes at a large cost of, um, mm-hmm. it's not cheap. And so for you two to speak publicly now about, why there should be programs for college students um, regarding homelessness, like how it can happen. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. There was a recent article, I just read the title because I couldn't even handle it. <laughs> it was just so like triggered me. I had to like close my computer when I saw it. And the, the title was like, why do people choose to be homeless? Oh God. And it, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have to, and, and so that's the, the thing too, where I've had people say, well, why don't they go home? Like, why don't they, you know, blah, 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 whatever. I had this, I had this interaction um, with uh, a, a friend of mine when they were like, I, I don't remember what the context was, but I was saying like, oh, I like, actually, I need to like be working my job. Like, I don't have time to do this. I don't remember what it was, but I, I didn't have time to like add this extra responsibility or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they were like, oh, well, why don't you ask your parents for help? And I was just like... <laughs> Darn, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thanks, Captain Obvious. <laughs> but I, I don't think we really, as a society, generally think about what people, well, I like, I think, honestly, like the biggest and even, even larger problem is the people, I think a lot of the people who experience housing insecurity in college, um, probably are they represent uh, a minority of, of the students or of the of the theoretical students that don't get to be students because they do experience housing insecurity 
think I phrased that the way I wanted to. I, I guess what I'm saying is that there's probably there's a lot of people that um, don't have the opportunity or don't think they have the opportunity or are too busy working or are surrounded by other people who don't have the ambition or where nobody motivates them or, or tells them to to aim higher and they or they they believe that they are stuck in wherever they are or living however they they do and i i think the conversation that sort of i mean we're, we're just starting to uh, get to a point where we're um, with the the host program which i've been lucky enough to help be a voice for with with, with helping people get housing but I think it even needs to go further than that and, and helping, well, I, I guess I'll, I'll um, summarize my thoughts and that I think there needs to be a radical change um, at a lot of levels to, to help motivate all sorts of people, not just the people that are already students or tell people, get the word out. I mean, like I was saying earlier, like it's, it's actually easier, at least in some ways for me to go to school than to, for me to not go to school. And I, I could have never guessed that that would be true. I mean, I was um, embarking on what I thought was very much a Hail Mary, moving down to a new place where I didn't know anyone to get a job at the last second so that I could pay for rent so that I could go to university when I, that I had never attended before and all these things. Like, and it, it worked out, but that's only because there is so much support and I didn't even know that that existed. So that, I feel like that needs to be more clear that like these things are possible. I think, I think, I truly believe anyone who's motivated can, can succeed in these ways, but we need to spend a lot more time trying to convince people that that's possible. Like there's a lot of titles that happen and stories during the pandemic where they refer to college student homelessness as like a hidden epidemic. And my view is that it's not hidden. <laughs> it's um, overlooked or people turn an eye, you know, that they don't want to ask the question, you know, so it's like, oh, what are we? It's also very unobvious, I think, exactly what's going on. I mean, like you see people in your everyday classes, you don't know. Yeah, and I say that in that people aren't talking about or even asking. Mm -hmm. And so that's the piece why it's such a big deal that you and students in the past have spoken up because I'm sure nobody's contacted you to say, or even, you know, received emails saying, you know, we want to hear from students who've experienced housing insecurity, or Mm -hmm. like you were saying of the knowledge of resources is like when you're accepted to college and you get all this information, you know, or even Mm -hmm. at orientation saying, for those of you who may be housing insecure, these are the resources you know, or those of you who do not have parental, you know, support, mm-hmm. here are things. Mm-hmm. Usually it's all about rah, rah, rah. You know, you got in. So obviously you're going to make it happen. And so that's the piece where it's a sign of acknowledgement. Where mm-hmm. like we're going to make sure people know about the resources um, and options if you do experience housing insecure or you are financially insecure like you're one problem away from not being able to afford rent. Like you're one, like being sick for a week and can't work and not, you know. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was lucky enough to get, I also um, needed this research opportunity for a whole different reason. That being, it comes with a, a stipend 
and my current or my, my former job as a mathematics tutor would not have lasted through the summer mm -hmm. or I would have to find another place to do another company or, or other people. Um, so that was very uncertain. And if I didn't get the stipend from the research, I would not be able to pay rent this year. Like I would, I would be like out of money. I have, I like literally very immediately needed that money to, to just survive. And I'm, I'm going year by year right now. I mean, I, I've done the math and, and like looked at it and I think I'll be fine for the 2022-23 school year. But if, if I don't get a research position next summer, which I think at this point, I'm pretty confident I can find at least some position. But, but if I don't, that'll be a whole nother problem. Yeah, I mean, because that's one of the solutions to financial insecurity is making available jobs that are pay a livable wage. So again, like you didn't, you didn't need a, an emergency grant. You needed a, a position that paid well. So you could pay your bills. So it's like, no, you're capable of paying your own bills. Like you're, you're not dependent upon, you know, say these one-time grants or, or whatever, because with REUs, you are usually paid well. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say it's, it's, you know, uh, uh, incredible pay or anything, but I mean, if you, if you count the, the meals and the housing that they pay for, it's probably actually very good pay, but the, but it's, it's, it is just like a real wage. I, I think I calculated and it was something like 12, 50 an hour, 40 hours a week for eight weeks. Oh, okay. Which, I mean, being 40 hours, being, have any, uh, having any job that is just 40 hours of paid work a week is going to pay more than anything else I've, I've done before. Yeah. Well, we have another um, episode with uh, Joelle Fuchs in past seasons and she had the, almost the exact same um, issue is that her summer research was her only housing. Mm -hmm. And so once that research was over, she had no place to go. Mm -hmm. And, and that's the piece that we talk about is, um, cause her summer research was at, in public health at one of the top, um, universities in the country, John Hopkins oh, wow. university. And it's like how much more, could she have grown like with her talents or even contributed if she didn't have in her background, you know, background of worrying, mm -hmm. like, what am I going to do mm -hmm. the day they kick me out, you know, the day mm -hmm. it ends. And that's the other piece of why it's important, you know, mm -hmm. for us to do something is one to get the most out of you all as students. Mm -hmm. Like, what are we missing? Because you are worrying, you know, and putting on all this and have to make decisions that you don't want to make, mm -hmm. you know, of prioritizing mm -hmm. rent over, you know, say something. Mm -hmm. So, and a lot of students don't want to share their stories because of discrimination, mm -hmm. you know, or even people asking, well, why, you know, and it's like, it doesn't matter. I, I've never even really like thought about that. I, I always, I've found it strange um, because, you know, in, in, in sharing my story, like, like now and, and like um, to, for in promotion of the, the host program with some like news sources and things like that. I've, um, everyone is always like, oh, thank you so much for sharing your story. And I'm just like, well, I just talked about my life for like an hour. Why is anyone listening? <laughs> like, I don't even, I don't even like think about that. I don't know. Um, I think I just sort of 
So I don't know. I haven't uh, experienced it very, very personally, not, not to say that it's not real or doesn't exist, but it's just like sort of not even, I don't even, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I guess I don't worry about it. I'm just uh, living life. Yeah. Well, you just need to do it. Yeah. It's like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like there's not a decision to be made. It's just like, I'm going to do it. Yeah. I didn't realize I was met the federal definition of homeless when I was in college until I started this job and saw the definition because it just wasn't, it was just like, this is what you do. Right. Right. Like you find like, you know, and um, I tell this story where I went to a new uh, a university when I was an undergrad for this internship program my senior year, and um, I didn't have any place to go and I didn't have any money before financial aid, and so I stayed with like a friend's godfather's sister's cousin, you know, and I didn't even question of like I'm going into the stranger's home, and you know, why are they letting me? Because it wasn't, it was like, I can't make that. I don't have room to make that decision. Mm-hmm. It's just like, oh, I have some place to go, period. Mm-hmm. You know, not thought about again. I, I think about a lot how much I've been helped by the people in my personal life and people like you who have been um, uh, mentoring and, and um, even like just a surprisingly large number of people, surprising to me anyway, who have said, um, who haven't necessarily like done something concrete, but have just said, if you need help, you can come to me. That has been so incredible to me. And I, I feel like pretty constantly like I'm at a loss to sort of pay it back. Maybe not exactly to them, but like I, I feel such a great desire that I want to do kindnesses like that. But I, I don't have the like, physical literal ability to do that like I'm either too busy or I don't have the resources I can't I I have no method to give someone our home or a meal or yeah but you are like you sharing your story is allowing the host home program to raise money to bring attention to get more people involved so you literally will be providing homes for students you will never meet and when it's true I mean I'm not lying to you I don't think you're lying (laughs) to me but I I don't know I I um well I don't think that I will ever be satisfied that I'm doing enough ever in my life with anything I mean you can always do more but well thank you for doing this little bit I mean for whatever you know however you're you'll category categorize it um and i mean that's the piece too of like of contributing um because we'll find you (laughs) so that you can um give you know trio students internships and research and you know be a mentor so don't worry we'll be wonderful i really want to i I really want to get i would love to help people like apply for things I know that I'm, I'm going to be helping people do that in the fall for RUs because I'm all because as the, the president of the Society of Undergraduate Mathematics, it's kind of my job to help people do that stuff. But I want to do that more because I feel like I feel like I'm, I'm at least decent at applying for things. And I feel like people I feel like I want to help people like get 
that like push or whatever because people don't necessarily think they can do it but I think they can it's intimidating for sure well we've been talking for a long time here at the end and thank you so much for your time I think it's been about almost an hour and a half how do you want to end it is there one or two things that you want to end with that you want to make sure people get out of what you shared or can benefit from your experience, thoughts, perspectives? I do not feel so, um, what's the word, maybe vain, maybe prideful that, that people would um, benefit from my wisdom um, as a 20 year old college student. But um, I, will, I will share nonetheless. I, You've done a lot, you've been through a I, lot. So you I have, I have done a lot in some total and, and been through a lot in, in, in total, but uh, only in very narrow contexts. I, I don't think I have a wide breadth of understanding, which I think is much more important when it comes to um, wisdom. Uh, and I, I, I guess I would use that as a segue to find wise people um, to, to guide you. I think um, that's that's one of the things I think I'm most excited about graduate school is, is having um, uh, wise, knowledgeable uh, mentors. Um, but I, I think the, the central theme of my life right now is, 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 is doing it, if that um, is not too cliche. Uh, like, I think people underestimate routinely what they are capable of. And like, I, I, I'm not some like super genius. I did mediocre throughout all of K-12 um, and I'm only doing well now because I just care a whole awful lot about what I'm doing and I really wanna do it. And so I'm going to do it and I am doing it. And I don't think anyone who is as motivated as I am can be stopped. Not that being motivated will get you anywhere, but it can get you pretty dang far. And I think people uh, underestimate that. I think they think that, well, it's sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy. They, they, they don't think they can do it and then they're unmotivated. But I mean, I, I, I really do believe that anyone who really wants to achieve things is able to achieve things. Yeah, sometimes we just need to get out of our own mm -hmm. way or even trust others, believe them, you know. So even if you don't think it's like, okay, this faculty member, you know, it's like, listen to them mm -hmm. and move forward with that and add, um, and then you'll do the same mm -hmm. when you're a faculty member. I cannot wait to be um, a, a part of the students' journeys like that and to, to provide I mean, I, th I think the most fulfilling thing in my life so far has, has not been, maybe this, maybe this is, is selfish, but it hasn't been any of the activism that I've been a part of or the volunteering work that I've been a part of. It's been teaching kids math and having them get excited about it, having them go from this is stupid and I don't wanna be here to, oh, that's actually really cool and I can do this and telling me that they felt excited about the things that I'm excited about and that it 
has brought me to tears on numerous occasions, just how powerful that's been for me. And for the love of God, if you have any passion about anything half as much as I love math, don't let anyone stop you from doing that. I remember very distinctly on my way, I, I had a friend drove me from, from Asheville to Raleigh when I moved here. Um, and on the way, they told me, oh, you don't want to do math. You should do something like computer science that's applicable to the real world. And on the one hand, they're absolutely right that math is unapplicable to the real world, but I'll be damned if I'm not doing math. Like, no, if you love it, you'll get paid for it. You know, I sure <laughs> hope so. Yeah, I mean, I followed my passion, and all I do is sit around and talk all day. <laughs> well, that is that is and get paid. That is too. wonderful. That's incredible. I mean, you really can. You, you really can. People, so many people feel like they have to do something. They have to study something particular so that they can get a job or do something in particular so they can get money. And if that's what you want to do, if you just want to like work a nine to five boring job that you can then have money and go do whatever with, then okay. But to me, it seems unbelievably depressing to just study something because you'll make money, get a job because it pays well and is stable. I could not imagine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, me too, me too. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Phillips. A little preemptive there. (laughs) No, it's not. You have to, uh, uh, what is it? Um, Anyways, I'll um, manifest it. Yeah, yeah, the uh, the, uh, hip term nowadays. Okay, yeah, thanks so much for your